we don't haven't got all day. <laughs> I've got other things to do, you know. I'm not just gonna <laughs> just hanging around here. Is it my fault that you came down before I ate my oats? Well, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's usually around eight thirty that I come down. You should know that. <laughs> I actually don't know that. Well, now you do. So here we go. Here we go. Another step forward in our ongoing relationship saga. There we go. There's a piece of information about me that was brand new, deep, deep personal insight, Diane. It's what we're after here on the show, anyway. Deep personal insight. I'm going to go ahead and start if you're not going to. Yeah, go ahead. I don't know why you had any problems with starting before. It's 9.02 a.m. Saturday. Mayday, mayday, mayday. The first 2021. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Mid and Diane Show. See, I just can't, I can't maintain the, the vibrato thing. It's the season. It's the season where Bill loses his vibrato. <laughs> oh no! Don't tell anyone, okay? You I just did. told everybody. I know. I got myself a cup of coffee here, and I'm going to take me a sip. Everybody, all four of us. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Yeah, ham and eggs. Well, these guys can keep a secret. I mean, come on. Have you listened to the show? Bill lost his vibrato. <laughs> you know, I saw it running down the street just the other day. I think it's trying to escape him forever. <laughs> Can you blame it? It's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine. <laughs> and I wanted to I say to, let me just say to the listeners, if you've noticed slowly but surely the Bill and Diane show becoming pretty much the Diane show. Pardon me, I'm having a drink of coffee. I'm like Ed McMahon, you know, I'm like, I toss to the host and then we get the, Ew, boy. the meat. Of, That's good coffee. If you think that Diane's carrying all the freight here on the Bill and Diane show, you're absolutely right. And I'm, you know, I just have to say, for the most part, I'm fine with it because she's basically a more interesting person. And pretty much every one of my friends that she has met now want to talk to her more than they want to talk to me. And can you blame them? I don't, you know, I don't hold it against them. I understand the phenomenon. I just want that to be out there. So, anyway, so how are you doing? That's there? the perspective of you. Oh, okay. I always think of it it's because you carry the freight on Tuesday nights. So. Well, there's that, and also I feel like you know you're the you're Howard Cosell, and I'm I'm like Don Meredith. You know, I I just throw in little little <laughs> snippets. I'm the color commentator or something. I think like I just need you. I, I need to bring up some topics to prime the pump for you. Well, that was like I was saying before we started the show. I'll just draft off of whatever you have to say and insert witty quips where I where they occur to me and it'll be a regular show. That's how it rolls. <laughs> so, yeah, I already said the hectic weekend like in Venom in the Park. I didn't say, over to you, Diane. It's interesting because whenever we are doing the show, I think that Bill wants everything to be totally spontaneous, like whatever crosses his his mind at any time. But whenever we're going to do the show, I'm always thinking, well, what was this week about? I'm, yeah. I'm sort of taking a look at the, the past week and what were the highlights of my week? And And this week was very easy because the highlights just happened yesterday and I know a lot of people feel that you need to have these spectacular or sensational experiences out in life to have peak experiences that does everybody think that way Diane did I say everybody I'm not sure that I said that's true did I say I everybody could, we or could go back say... and re- we could go back and review if you like yes yeah. well most it, people or something if you said I did most say everybody you know, the then I would have to correct that oh, but okay. right. but many people okay. feel yes that you need to be doing something spectacular that you are seeing something visually that's spectacular you're right, right. on a roller coaster you're climbing a mountain or yeah. whatever but a boom but a big most of the peak experiences in my life have been conversations with people or uh, times where I feel like I've had a bit of a epiphany or yeah, yeah. something has happened in my thoughts that has changed me in some direction. And so that's why yesterday was such an important day. And, and I wanted to say that, that Carl Jung agrees with me on this point. 
Carl Jung. Carl Jung. You've been talking to him? I have been. Wait. Having I... conversations in my mind, you know. Oh. So and how long have you been seeing this Carl guy? Ever since I've been reading Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, which has been quite a while. I see. Okay. But I've been rereading this, and in the very introduction of Memories, Dreams, and Reflections, which is not written by Carl Jung, right. it's a... Uh, it was a recording of his thoughts. It's a transcription. Of it's a transcription. And it was edited by Anelia Jaffe. I don't know how to pronounce it. But it's a marvelous... I, I just think this is actually one of my favorite books yes, of all time. mine too, mine too. But one of the things that was interesting is in the introduction to this book, Anelia is talking about how hard it was to get him to do this mm -hmm. because he was he was vacillating back and forth he'd say yes then he'd say no then he would say yes but in the final situation he said this information when he finally accepted and i thought it was so fascinating because his experience of life so is, is so much like mine Recently, I was asked for autobiographical information, and in the course of answering some questions, I discovered hidden in my memories certain objective problems which seemed to call for closer examination. I have therefore weighed the matter and come to the conclusion that I shall fend off other obligations long enough to take up the very first beginnings of my life and consider them in an objective fashion. This task has proved so difficult and singular that in order to go ahead with it, I have had to promise myself that the results would not be published in my lifetime. Such a promise seemed to me essential in order to assure myself the necessary detachment and calm. It became clear that all the memories which have remi remained vivid to me had to do with emotional experiences that arouse uneasiness and passion in the mind, scarcely the best condition for an objective account. Your letter naturally came at the very moment when I had virtually resolved to take the plunge. Fate will have it, and this has always been the case with me, that all outer aspects of my life should be accidental. Only what is interior has proved to have substance and a determining value. As a result, all memory of outer events has faded, and perhaps these outer experiences were never so very essential anyhow, or were so only in that they coincided with the phases of my inner development. An enormous part of these outer manifestations of my life have vanished from my memory, for the very reason, so it seemed to me, that I participated in them with all my energies. Yet these are the very things that make up a sensible biography, Persons one has met, travels, adventures, entanglements, blows of destiny, and so on. But with few exceptions, all these things have become for me phantasms, which I can barely recollect, and which my mind has no desire to reconstruct, for they no longer stir my imagination. On the other hand, my recollection of inner experiences has grown all the more vivid and colorful, this poses a problem of description which I scarcely feel able to cope with, at least for the present. Unfortunately, I cannot, for these reasons, fulfill your request, greatly as I regret my inability to do so. I mean, this was when he was still vacillating. Right. But, but he basically decided to do it when he decided to focus on the inner experiences. And I think that he was worried about this kind of approach because it is so revealing yeah. and yet i mean that's why i say i'm a a woman of carl jung's own heart yeah. just because uh he reflects what i reflect i i feel like my life i can see the outer experiences but i see it more as to what it does with my inner experience right and yesterday the reason why yesterday was such a peak experience for me, I had a really, I want to say wondrous conversation with my brother. And the, the beginning of that conversation, we were talking about a shared passion of musical experience, which I will share next week because next week is the time to 
bring it up because it's my brother's birthday next week. Oh, wow. Um, but the thing that was so exciting for me about this is that because Gary and I started to do more of a regular communication and we do it early in the morning so that we can have quiet time that is not disturbed by other things. We are starting to have conversations like we had when we were young. Mm -hmm. And that is so wonderful to me. It's almost like when you're in college, you know, you have these amazing soul searching conversations with people. And then as you go through your life, you, you miss those. You wish that you could have them back. But for some reason, the, the cacophony of events that happen in a lifetime prevent you from having them, or you feel so anyway. Mm -hmm. But one of the marvelous things about my unwinding some of my ideas about life, um, which I'll speak to in a moment too, has been the, the idea that I can have these conversations again, that I right. have the time. I just yeah, need yeah. to make the time. And, right. and Gary has been my best friend since birth, you know, one of my best friends, and, but certainly my first and best friend and knows so much about me. You know, you don't have to, with a sibling, you don't need to explain what your family life was like. They witnessed it. Right. Even if they witnessed it from a different standpoint. Right. So we had this incredible conversation, which uh, ended up with me talking about my impending life coaching session, which uh, was going to be at 10 o'clock. Right. And I was talking about this whole idea of the retirement questions that I'm bringing to the fore. And we had a really amazing talk about his feelings and and by talking to him, I was able to actually gain more insight into my own, my own thoughts and into my family's thoughts. Yeah. And um, it was just marvelous. And then I had an amazing life coaching session because what I have found in life coaching, what, what it's doing really this is giving you a focus. Mm -hmm. You have an audience member who's going to, that you need to present something to. Let's say you have to make a pres presentation yeah. every couple of weeks. Right. So it, you, you can't put off this, this thing that you want to think about and you want to resolve. I've never really done anything like this before, but... It's a deliberate act. It's a deliberate act. Well, I have done something yeah, like this before. Yeah, you've done lots of things like this. Yeah, but I've Can never... Can I just interrupt to say something? Yes. I love listening to you talk. <laughs> uh, you know, you've set this up so well. You brought all these threads together. It's just... It's, I just... I, I gotta say. There's something to be said for, you know, not just talking off the cuff, but actually thinking about what you want to say before you say it. There's also some things of talking off the cuff with you. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we are in pretty yeah. nice teeter-totter of right. experience. Anyway. But what I found through the last couple of weeks right. is that uh, because I know I'm working on this problem, I become aware of all the, the unfolding of realizations that go on day to day, that you are working on this problem in your mind and you are resolving it through a number of incremental thoughts aided by almost, well, no, I'm not even gonna say almost, aided by magical introductions of synchronous events that you, say, oh my God, that really helps me understand this. Right. It's like messages from the universe, you know, yeah. just popping in. I, you know, I, if I may interject. You may interject. <laughs> I don't think it's magical. I mean, I think it is magical. But I think it's magical because you always ask the right questions of the right person at the right time. That's just something I have witnessed you do again and again and again. You formulate your questions. You think, who, who do I know? And you call that person or that, you know, or that person just happens to call you or some kind of thing, you know, it triggers it. And then you have these profound conversations, which 
begin with a question that you have come up with and you are asking. So you create it. You create these magical experiences by the way you choose to live your life. Well, that's a lovely thought. If well, the, I hope that's true. But during this week, I had this presentation of a little message from the universe in my mind of a poem by Kurt Vonnegut that was about Joe Heller, uh, Catch-22. And I won't read the whole blog post because it would just take too long and I've already read you, you know. But, But the summation of this blog post that introduced the poem, which is very short and pithy, you know, it was basically that in our society, we are constantly thinking about the next best thing. Uh, that's what our society drive is. More, 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 me, me, me. You know, I want to have more. Yeah. And and the, the summation of the poem is that um, Kurt Vonnegut was on Shelter Island with Joe Hel- Heller at a billionaire's party. And he looked over at Joe Heller and said, how does it make you feel that this man has made more in one day, most likely, than you have ever made in the selling of your novel Catch-22 through a lifetime? And Joe Heller responded, I have something that this man will never have. And Kurt Vonnegut, very interested in in his thoughts, said, "Well, what could that possibly be, Joe?" And and Joe said, "Enough. I have enough. The, the knowledge, knowledge that I have, that I have enough." Yeah. And I just loved that story when yeah. it was brought up to me. And so I was talking to it with my brother. I was talking about it at my life coaching and. Uh, I said, you know, part of the problem with this is you'll never be able to figure out if you have enough because you don't have the the factors of the algebraic equation. Right. You don't know how long you're going to live. Yeah. You don't know if you're going to become ill. You don't know if... Uh, my brother brought up a great point. You don't know what the safety net is going to be with yeah. your, your next steps in your society. Right. So you're basically always flying by the seat of your pants. And in actuality, uh, as I was talking to you about this, I was saying, it's so interesting too, because what we have is an illusion that we have got security when we've got a job. It's an illusion. Because right. life illu- is no more secure when you're working than when yeah, you're retired. exactly. Yeah, it really is no different. You actually have to be sort of a creative thinker to get through things. But the other thing that has been really educating me in my incremental thoughts about this is the fact that every person that I've talked to that had re- that I've talked to about retirement, because right. this has been sort of my focus, how people felt about it and what they did with it. Mm-hmm. Every single person, something else that was a passion of theirs lit up after they retired, every single person. And none of it has to do with, well, sometimes it has something to do with a monetary uh, thing, like with Ken Higgins, that he actually retired early and then found another passion of his, which was construction and... and Fixing up old houses. Fixing up old houses actually became uh, a means for him to uh, provide as well. But everybody else, like my brother, who is pursuing some really, to my mind, passionate and important, important and admirable goals with his with his community, which is a church. He has helped with the LGBTQ community. He is now working on systemic racism. Systemic racism. That is an amazing goal. Right. And especially because I believe that by doing it in your small community that it's going to radiate outwards. So, yeah. so I am so proud of my brother for doing this. It's something that 
he explored after he retired. And it was because he suddenly had the space that he could do it. Right. And, uh, and then I was thinking about you with uh, the Treehouse concerts and your poetry. Now, you always had been doing that as your main job, but it also was hampered a bit by your day job. So I know that you had a little bit of that same experience of, oh my God, I'm not a contributing member of society, which is all by our society's standards because we don't value things unless they are monetarily contributing. So that, and as I was talking to Shelley, led me to many different thoughts including that I read a journal entry that I made in 2013 that showed that I've been working on these problems for that long and maybe even longer. But the thing that was so interesting is I realized, and this was like, this was the epiphanal moment for me, that when you are in this stage of your life, when you actually retire and you're actually at this stage of aging, Mm -hmm. you're actually deconstructing your life. You're trying to see what was it built of? What were the foundations that, that I had? And you, you build your life out of the building materials that are around you, which society provides, you know, your, your family, your history, um, you, your societies, you take whatever that is and you start constructing yourself right. of that. And then at a certain point, like all the things I'm doing now, the, the critical race theory class that I'm taking, the, the work that I'm doing on understanding why I'm so terrified of retiring and making that final step, it all has to do with deconstructing ideas and saying it's almost like you're weighing the ideas you're looking at you're taking apart the construction that that you feel like as a whole but it's not you're looking at it and saying this idea of what i think are american values for example what do i even think the the term american dream what does that mean what does that mean to me what what did it mean to other people why did i incorporate that thought in my head or how did these things that were historical events get twisted somehow to say it in a different way than i uh, than i believe was true or that was of value to my experience of life and a lot of it has to do with what is enough and why did we choose this kind of path in our society rather than looking for a more communal network of trying to help each other why was it important that we had a dominating group that would uh, direct other people rather than all of us trying to create the best lives for everybody so it's been a, a fascinating thing with the life coaching because I never expected it to go in this direction. And what I find is that when people are in these sorts of conversations and really start thinking about it, it's kind of scary because you really are deconstructing some things about your life, you know. Why do I have these opinions and is that the best? Did that provide me with the best life? Uh, What you're trying to, I think what you're ultimately trying to do is you're deconstructing one identity and replacing it with a new, a different identity. And one of the things that I think is kind of a telling uh, signal is you mentioning, you know, retirement as that final step. But it's not that final step. Oh, it's not that final step. It's not the final step. It's just, but it is the final step in your working life. Right. What we call your working life. But then... Like you say, you're re-examining was, what was my working life and what was it made of and what parts of it do I want to keep and what parts of it are better off chucked aside, you know? Well, it, it reminded me of this, uh, and I shared it with my life coach, this marvelous quote by Joseph 
Campbell. I actually took notes in my journal uh, from this this lecture. It was a lecture that Joseph Campbell gave that was far more scholarly than, for example, his interview with Bill Moyers. But I really got a lot out of this lecture. Was it on YouTube? It was it was a DVD that we had ordered and uh-huh. and I was not happy with the whole DVD yeah. experience but but the lectures before we got rid of the DVD I wrote down notes of yeah. the things that I really got uh, information gotcha. from. Gotcha, But I love this this particular quote. There comes a time in post midlife when society disengages you. Younger people have come along who can do the job better than you. Also, let me tell you something secretly. You've disengaged yourself. When everybody you meet reminds you of someone you've already met before, and all you hear you've heard before, you're ready for another show. The folk system disengages you. You disengage yourself from the folk system and he, his version of the folk system is all the beliefs and your society values, the society. Right. The mainstream. Then you can go on to the path of yourself. And I just thought that was so amazing that he was basically saying before you can do this, you actually have to disengage yourself. And, but I think we naturally are doing that anyway. I think, Age does that to us because, like I said, I think of it as the mainstream. Yeah. And we are miles from the mainstream now. Yeah, I know. You know, and the mainstream has, and the mainstream didn't branch off. We did. Exactly. And so. Well, that's what he's saying. Yeah, I know. Secretly, let me tell you, right. you disengage yourself. Right, but we, but it feels uncomfortable, and it triggers a lot of things because it doesn't feel like something you've done yourself, uh, and yet what is revealed is that it is. It is something that you have done yourself. But society has a certain set of ideals and things like that, which are always shifting based upon, you know, concepts and advertising and uh, what is become going to be fashionable. And what and how can know, we sell something Yeah, and what do, what do we want the young people to adhere to in terms of ideas about what the good life is and all this kind of things are always shifting and changing. And as you get older, you become more and more uncomfortable with it and it seems more and more foreign to you. And that's why, you know, there's all these, what I think of in my mind is societal cliches where all the old people that have ever been on some level think the world is going to, to hell, basically. They're, they're looking at this, it's a, back at the mainstream and they're going, what are they doing? You know, this is crazy. You know, why won't anybody listen to me? You know, with blah, blah, blah. You know, and nobody does listen to you. Just at the point in your life where you think you've accumulated wisdom and have something to give back to society, society has moved on to other things. They got no interest in the in what you even want to talk about. So it's like, it's it's the this natural kind of evolution, personally evolutionary process that can't be undone. And so all you can do is try to learn as much as you can along the way and look at this new tributary that you've gone off on and start exploring around in there and forget about that other stuff because it's not coming back to you. It's like getting a limb cut off or something. It's not going to come back. You might feel like it's there sometimes, but it's not. Well, I, I am not a person who thinks society is going to hell in the hand. No, I don't either. Mainly because for me, I really enjoy looking at what each generation yeah, does yeah. with all the the great things and all the weird things you know i i feel like we all have had the experience of our generations right. joys and sorrows and so you look at another generation and see their joys and sorrows and you think boy that is sure foreign to me yeah. but wow i mean i was telling shelly uh because she was able to take she she had hired me into abc and I was going to stay in pharmacology till I retired. And she took me on a tour that she arranged of the, the newly formed ISC, which is Integrated Service Center. It was, it was this thing where all the, the floor was in pods and they had all these. It, they were emulating some of the, the corporate things that had already existed for a long time, but right. I had never seen that corporate world. Yeah, I hadn't reached the academic level yet. And I remember coming home that day and talking to you and saying, 
I feel like I just got to see the future. And you said, well, you're actually seeing the present. Yeah. <laughs> I, said, I know, but because I'm sort of stuck in the past, yeah. I feel like I got to see, and I really loved it. Yeah. I loved what they brought about. Now, there are other things that I don't agree with or whatever, but, right. but I see it as that every generation has the things that are, are working out great. And because there are things that I thought, wow, I wish that we had thought about that. Mm. That was fantastic that they thought about that. But there are other things that I, I don't relate to. And anyway, the, the thing that was so interesting about this life coaching session is I realized that it's almost like you just have to put the question in front of you. What are you trying to understand about your life? And I, I just want to say a little hint about why I chose the music I did for today, oh, which yeah. uh, after every session of the life coaching, uh, the very first session, Shelley said, Do you, would you like to pull a miracle card? You know, like this, it's like an oracle card. Mm -hmm. And we have done so every session. And it's been so phenomenal because every uh, card that I've pulled was not talking about what was happening at that moment, but it predicted what would happen the rest of the week. Mm -hmm. And I have just been kind of floored by it. But one of uh, the last session that I had had with her, I had pulled this card that was uh, the narrow path. And it was the, the advice of this oracle card was, the path is narrowing. You're on, you know, you're on this hill, this mountain. You are going to get to where you need to go, but tread carefully. Observe what's around you, and don't try to rush. You know, take each In step sense, I carefully. I something about thorns and brambles or something. Yeah, it said that there are thorns and briars ahead. Yeah. You know, be be uh, aware and alert. Mm -hmm. Don't try to rush through this. So when I pulled that card that last session, I was trying to to make it make sense with the practical things that I was doing, and it didn't really make sense. But when I got into this more philosophical series of thoughts, I thought, ah, that's the advice. Now, people who don't believe in oracles, you know, you can just think it's coincidental, and I'm uh, I'm making up my own story about it. I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, but that is my my story about it, and. I thought, this is so powerful. These thoughts are so powerful, and they're just starting to form. So just take it easy. Oh, it wasn't the thorns and briars. The thorns and briars are from the song. Oh. That's what, so. Okay, sorry. Anyway, sorry. That, but, but that's fine. Anyway, so yesterday I said to Shelley, I really want to pull another card. Now, the way that we're pulling the cards is that she holds up a stack of cards in her right hand and on a, a stack zoom, of cards on a zoom call on a zoom call right she's she says this is my right hand this is my left hand which card do you choose or which stack do you choose then she does that three times then she fans out the cards and set, goes through the cards and says which one is it going to be and i this time i was very definite you know sometimes i'm kind of going eh, but i just wasn't right right it was always right on this particular issue and and I before she even started pointing to the cards, I said, the one that's in your hand, uh, your left hand right now. And she pulled it, and it was the same card. It was the narrow path again. Right. And even before she had pulled it, I thought it's going to be the narrow path because this is so momentous that I need to keep on this path and, and realize that each realization I make is important. Maybe it's maybe it also is a is a caution to not try to figure anything out too quickly, but just watch what falls in front of you before you draw any big conclusions from it or something like that. I love that, and yeah. that is true. Yeah. I think so. So that is why I chose the songs today, which are or a particular song. And the other song, too. Um, and it also takes me to the next momentous conversation that I had with Cindy Gackstatter-Clark, yes. who 
was the person who introduced me to this folk rock tape when I was working at a law firm after my graduation from college. And um, so I was very young and we talked about this folk rock tape one time uh, on a Bill and Diane show. And when we did, I thought, you know, I've been talking about how this, this music changed my life. I mean, it headed me in the right. same direction. I've been talking about this for years. Why haven't I tried to see where Cindy is? Yeah. So I looked her up and found her very easily on Facebook. Yeah. Ever since that time, we I sent her the, the show. She listened to it. Then we started getting back together. And and her, her importance in my past life and her importance in my present life caused me to call her yesterday. And then we had a marvelous conversation, too, about all sorts of things. Um, and she has retired. She is one of the, the people that I have actually talked to before about her retirement. So it just feels so full circle, you know, in the way that everything has happened. But she was the one who introduced me to Steel Eye Span. And when I kept pulling this narrow path card, it made me think of a song by Steel Eye Span that is a, it's, it is a folk rock. I, it's I kind of early prog rock is what yeah. I think. Because I, when I listen to Steel Eye Span, I hear Jethro Tull, but Jethro Tull's music is less jarring. That's Steel right. Steel Eye Span is like an earlier version of it. And so the, the rock portions of it just seem to kind of crash in and then pop out again, you know? Yeah, and, and, and that is the thing that I, I so wish, actually, that I could hear this song without all that, yeah. you know, uh, because the, the words of the song... Right. And, and the, the, and the story, music of it is great. It's just that it's 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 when it gets into the the woman singing about, or not the woman, but the fairy, yeah. singing about the paths of life. And I have always thought about this this song because of that advice. You want um, to post? Are you going to post links to the lyrics? Yeah, because, I will. Because it's, it's that's one of it's the things that bothers me. Is I've never liked Steel Eye Span that much because you can never hear the words. You know. So this is a song called Thomas the Rhymer. And it's a pretty old ballad. It's from a child ballad. Right. And the thing that it has always fascinated me about the lyrics of this song, because there's another song called True Thomas that has the basic storyline, but set in a different way, but has the same advice from the the fairy that uh that has always stuck with me and what it says is thomas the rhymer or true thomas is a ballad about the medieval prophet thomas of ersildun he meets the queen of elfland who takes him away from earth for seven years putting him through various rituals which no doubt instill his prophetic powers so it's really about a man right. and uh, has always fascinated me. Um, he was the author of a long poem describing a visit to Elfland and the supernatural events which took place there. The poem served as a basis for the 50, 15th century romance, which in turn probably provided the raw material for this ballad. So, but the, the lines that I love, uh, it's interesting because the music shifts at that point and that's when it's less jarring and when I just feel like, oh, this is so beautiful. And what it says is, Oh, see ye not yon narrow road, so thick beset with thorns and briars. That is the path of righteousness, though after it but few inquires. And see not that broad, broad road that lies across that lily leaven. That is the path of wickedness, though some call it the road to heaven. And see not that bonny road that winds around the ferny bray. That is the road to Elfland, where thou and I might this night mon go. You know, I don't know how to pronounce all that, all the Scottish stuff in there. But, but I've always thought about, so when I pulled that card, the narrow path. I was thinking about 
this is the, you know, I'm not saying it's holy, like, but biblical. I'm saying this, these questions. This is more like your true path. Are the, the path to a more enlightened way of thinking rather than following the broad path, which is the societal path that will take you on the normal those who have the most toys at the end win (laughs) (laughs) or whatever. Um, So I was very excited by that. That's what inspired me to want the music for today. And there's another song that Maddie, because Maddie Pryor was the amazing vocalist that, that Steel Eye Span, of Steel Eye Span. And there's another song of, that she sings that is not with Steel Eyes Band. It's with this band called the Mandala Band. And I was thinking about it because I was thinking about that that road to yourself. You know, the where does it take you? Mm-hmm. And what it takes you into is a different place entirely. Right. And so then the next thing that happened was you brought down the 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 film about Robert Bly. Which is not the one by Haydn Reese, but uh, an earlier documentary made in 1978 by the Minnesota Arts Council. So it's got that kind of grainy. It kind of re- it reminds me of Kicking the Loose Gravel Home, though, that one about yeah. Richard Hugo that was made around the same time. And it's just and an earlier version of Robert Bly, wherein I feel like he's starting to starting to talk about the ideas that became Iron John. Exactly. Yeah. But hearing him talk about, because he definitely took the thorny briar (laughs) path in his life, and listening to him talk about some of the philosophical ideas just really shook me. I, I was really, I was thinking, what an amazing end to this day, to have all these, because each conversation I just felt lit up. And in between the conversations, I was having conversations with you about those conversations that lit me up too. And I just felt like, oh my God, this has been such a blessing of a day. Well, and part of my contribution to our conversation was talking about conversations that I've been having this week. I had a great conversation with Tim, my best friend. I had a great conversation with Alan Hicks, another one of my best friends. I had a great conversation with my sister. I had a great conversation with my mom, with my daughter, Alice. I've been texting with, with Jake all week. I talked to Kelly. And, you know, there's all this input uh, that was, you know, tangential to what you were talking about, but actually fed into the, you know, a, our, a bigger kind of set of realizations that also dovetailed with, with what Robert Bly was talking about. So It was like this amazing <laughs> intersection yeah. of not only... Our conversations, which are so important to both of us. Right. I mean, that, for all people who know Bill and I and wonder what is the secret of our <laughs> our loving relationship. It yeah, we is... have a book coming out. <laughs> a handbook. For... Yeah. It is communication, yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, because I... It's gotta, you got to tell people. I mean, I mean, Fridays in this house have become this amazing day because that's usually the day when Diane calls her brother. And they have a conversation, and then she'll have her life coaching session. Which and, and I'm upstairs, and I'm all I'm hearing is laughter, and you know, and these oh, that's just I don't know what the substance is, but I can tell that Diane's having a very good time, uh, <laughs> you know, on her own down here talking to these amazing people. And her her phone calls are going like for two hours. She'll be on the phone with one person for two hours, and you know, that's just so you you gotta. You get this feeling, well, they must be talking about something substantive. And I'm sitting upstairs getting gradually more and more excited about the conversation that you and I are going to have as a product of these other conversations that you've been having and the conversations I've been having and the book I'm reading and the book you're reading and the, you know. Oh, and that's true, too. Yeah. This wonderful book that you brought and Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, every, that also spurred a lot yeah. of conversation. The... Yeah, which is a... Which is a discovery that I made almost by accident because I really like the poetry of Ron Kirchie. And uh, I've been trying to find more Ron Kirchie. And as I was scrolling through the offerings of, of Ron Kirchie, I found these two books 
The first one is called Shakespeare Bats Cleanup, and the second one is called Shakespeare Makes the Playoffs. And it's a these are young adult novels written as books of poetry that were written by a 14-year-old kid. Fictional who's, kid. Fictional but... kid who's a, a star on the middle school baseball team who gets mono and has to stay in bed for a month. And his dad hands him a notebook and says, you might want to write some things down. And he starts playing around with poetry as a way to express himself. And it's just, that's the way the book unfolds. And so the story unfolds through the interlinked poems that this guy's writing in this notebook. And it's just blowed my mind because it is so well-constructed. And it's such an amazing way to tell a story. And, and it teaches you some stuff about poetry. And it teaches you stuff poetry. about poetry. And it, you uh-huh. know, I, I keep thinking, you know, if, if someone had handed me this book in middle school and said, here's some poetry, try this, you know, it would have been, it would have been such a, a more gentle and inspiring and accessible introduction to poetry than most of us get in our, in our formal education. Because when poetry is presented to students in school, it's this foreign language. It's like it's like something from outer space or something like that. And nobody. And so you kind of learn. Well, you can't expect to really like it. You know, it's, it gives this sour exp- impression of what poetry is, that is not true. You know, and as you if you pursue poetry, what you discover is that there are as many different ways to write poetry as there are people writing it, and that everybody gets their own voice and they're entitled to it. And you know, it's like this kid figuring out how to how to talk about his feelings in this notebook where it's safe for him to talk about these feelings and that's the only and that was my experience in writing from the time I you know first started it was that if you have a notebook that is yours and yours alone and you keep other people out of it you can say whatever you want about anything you want when I talk about how writing saved my life several times it's because when I was an adolescent I was like everybody else as confused and over emotional and glandular and greasy as you know as you can ever ever are again in your life so it's just it's just amazing that this is the way this guy chose to tell the story and i just think it's brilliant i just feel like we get such a marvelous chance to be out in the this is kind of a weird thing to say during right. the pandemic, right. but you feel like you're out in the world with these conversations with everybody. Right. And, and then we get to bring the riches back home to each other. I just I love that. Yeah. One of the, my favorite things about my relationship with Bill is I feel like we basically collect a lot of riches in our day-to-day lives through our readings, our conversations, what we are listening to. And then we, we present them to each other and and share them and like these, like handing. Oh, hand, look at all these these shells that I found on the beach. Look at these. How look at this one and this one. Isn't this gorgeous? Mm-hmm. I just love that. Yeah, that's good. So last night when we were listening to the Robert Bly, there were many things in that that really uh, sparked my thoughts. And you know, I should just interject here. That it were it not for the uh, Hayden Reese film about Robert Bly, this film that we watched last night would make a lot less sense to me. You know, you 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 need to understand. Uh, for me, the key uh, in the effectiveness of this second film, which is Robert Bly earlier in his life, is that you understand kind of the the outline of where he was in his development when this film was made, as opposed to where he got to. Uh, in in his work later in his life, so well, and it also sort of informed me because we, Robert Bly is now old. Uh, he's and, ninety years old, yeah. And so it's very interesting to hear what he was saying in his middle life right. about the old. Yeah. But the very last poem that is presented during this, I thought quite fascinating documentary. It's just an hour long documentary, and it's on YouTube. Um. The thing I found so fascinating about it was this poem has so much to do with exactly what I have been experiencing. Right. Uh, the deconstruction that people when they're old are going through. And it's so interesting that that even that word even entered my mind. But it is a very real experience for me of 
that you are looking back at your life and examining the different stages of your life. And I'm getting to the point in, in my aging process that I'm a lot less judgmental about what I have done. Right. I... All what, the things, or what other people have done to you, or what well, you've encountered in relationship. Uh, or, or absolutely. Stuff. Yeah. But the main thing that I keep thinking is that all the things that I was beating myself up about in my life, my divorces, my um, my lack of ambition, uh, there are various things in my life that I really beat myself up for. And now, as I'm older, I realize how marvelous it's almost like you had to wait until you're older to see the results of all those actions right. i i think my life would have been much different if i had not um had not gone down the roads that i went down and and the results of my life uh have been marvelous i mean i'm i'm so blissfully happy at this stage of my life and i'm very I feel very fortunate that I was able to be getting to this old... In, in fact, whenever anybody is saying, oh, I hate the thought that I'm getting old, I feel like, well, I'm not looking forward to decrepitude, but I am really loving the way my mind is going right now. Yeah. And so the way that we have set up the music is a little bit more dramatic than we usually would have done right. in that it's talking about the song that we talked about earlier thomas the rhymer then the robert Bly poem and then this the to take us out the dramatic the dramatic conclusion the other maddie pryor tune from the maddie pryor tune from the mandala band
I put a lot of stock in the old. You know, they have enough with their own, and they hardly see us. They are like fishermen along big rivers. I put a lot of stock in fishermen along big rivers, and old people. They have a look in their eyes that you hardly see anymore, the old. As if they were just recovering from a big fever. The old who so gradually become themselves once more and so gradually break up like smoke. No one notices it. They are gone into sleep and light. Freedom. 